0: Welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben. We're in this uh, series on relationships and the idea behind a lot of this series is, is basically that um, there are a lot of thoughts and ideas that circulate around relationships. What we believe is that uh, God created us for relationships. He created us to, um, to get married or for some of us you know, to stay single, but for, for many of us who, who either are married or are on the path to marriage or hope to someday get married, uh, the idea is most marriages don't end Well, uh, most marriages don't really show this picture that God intended, which is the husband and the wife or Christ and the church. Uh, Most marriages, in fact, um, statistically don't last, let alone end happily ever after, and especially in love ever after. Uh, There are plenty of statistics that talk about the level of success and how small it is for couples who have this deep sense of of contentment and joy and happiness in their marriage. And so what we're talking about essentially is, so how do we create those marriages? What are the God given ideas and principles that we see in scripture? If Jesus, if God is the author of relationships and he ought to have some wisdom in how we are to be married, how we are to pursue relationships. And so today I want to talk about, um, in fact, each one, each time uh, we've gotten together on Sunday, I've, I've thought, you know, this is the most important Sunday. Okay. So I think this is the most important Sunday. Once again, but let me tell you why. If most marriages don't end together, and even fewer of them end together in love and happy, then we need to talk for a little bit at least to how do you stay in love? In 2018, how do you stay in love? And as odd as a question as that might be, It only takes a pulse to fall in love. And you know this, and in fact, here's what's probably, you know, if you haven't noticed this, this is what happens. Um, the younger you are, the longer the list is of the person that you're will, not wanting to fall in love with. You know, they got to be so, you know, he's got to be so tall and dark and handsome and career and a job. And it'd be wonderful, his profile picture included a puppy, you know. And you've got to have all these things that he's, he's got to have. And then you get somewhere and you're like, does he have a pulse? Okay, I'm in. You know, that sounds, that sounds good. And, and, and the truth is, we don't have to do a series on how to fall in love, because that just kind of comes natural. There's, there's this sense of compatibility, there's this sense of attraction, there's this sense of perhaps shared interest, and you fall in love with somebody, and then, you know, Saturday after Saturday, people walk down the aisle and they say, I do, and if your Saturday is in the fall during football season, man, we love you, but I'm just so busy that weekend, I can't officiate your wedding, I'm so sorry, you know, but... <clears throat> People walk down the aisle and they say, I do, I do, I do, and and, and really what that means is, I think I do. I believe we have what it takes to not just last, but last and enjoy one another. And and here's what's fascinating about marriage, and you've probably noticed this, in fact, you've probably witnessed this, if not in your family, if not in your parents, then at least in in lots of the marriages around you, in fact, this might be your marriage, that at one point in time, this can, be the most, this can be the most chemistry-filled, attractive relationship. This can be the person that you walk down an aisle and say, I choose to love you. I choose to have and to hold and, you know, sickness and in death or sickness and in health till death do us part. I, yeah, sickness and in death. That breaks the covenant. Different sermon, different day. <laughs> anyway, basically, I choose you for the rest of my life and while at the beginning of the relationship right it's so exciting and there's this euphoric feeling it goes six months it lasts a year maybe it lasts two years if you're, if you're real lucky but you know most times it only lasts 12 to 18 months max and then the excitement fades and you walk down the aisle and you say i do But for some reason, two years later, five years later, ten years later, twenty years later, the person that you, out of everybody that you could have picked, out of everybody that you could have covenanted with, married, partnered with, that was the person that you were drawn to, yet ten years later, it's the person that you can't stand to be in the same room as. Here's one of the ways one of my favorite pastors says it. It takes a pulse To fall in love. But it takes a plan to stay in love. And so today what I want to talk about is how do you stay in love? How do you stay in love? In in, in a world, in a context, in a culture where love is defined so many ways, how do you stay in love? How do you find yourself? How do I find myself? And what does the Bible say as it relates to us loving and being loved and ending happily, not ever after, but happily in love? ever after. What's interesting is, is the book of John, First John actually, John who was one of the Jesus disciples, he wrote the Gospel of John, and then a little later on he writes a, a number of letters to the early church. And one of the things that he, that the point he belabors over and over again is this idea of love. Love, how we are and why we are to love another. And he's going to talk generally about our love for people, but I think it has such extraordinary implications to marriage that I think this is the absolute starting point as it relates to staying in love. Because it's tempting to talk about staying in love. And say, here are all the self-help. Here's how do you communicate effectively. Here's con- you know effective conflict resolution. Here's effective financial management. Here's effective, 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 effective. But at its core, John is going to talk about a principle for us that I think is so extraordinary. We're going to all just kind of step back and say, if we can implement this, it has the absolute potential to change the rest of our relationships in the course of our marriage. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up to 1 John chapter 4. Now 1 John, again, different than, than the gospel. Gospel of John, In fact, if you've got this cool little Bible that I've got, um, which if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab one on the way out or whenever, it's on page 1023, okay? So, 1 John chapter 4, we start at verse 9. He says, and this is the love of God, and this is the love of God, was made manifest among us, or was made known among us. That God sent his son, that God sent, in fact, his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sins. We're going to come back to this. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, now, here's where he's starting to, to go towards. Our love for other people is not based on how much we feel like we ought to love or how lovable the other person is. In fact, it doesn't even start with me at all. It starts with my realization and acknowledgement of God's love for me and for us. And here's what that's important. When I think about love, how do I love my wife well? I oftentimes say, okay, so here's, here again, here's the self-help, here's the communication, here's the conflict resolution. John says, no, 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 no. It doesn't start for you to love well, for you to love and maybe you're single and you're looking towards this or you're dating and you've you know, you got a boyfriend or girlfriend you're kind of practicing this or you're engaged and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, I don't know if we, I think we have what it takes, but I love them, you know, and, and we're going to get into that in a second. But you're looking at it and you're thinking, how do I love them well? And, and here's what John's saying. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with you. It doesn't start with me. a set of relationship skills. He says, first is this. This is the love of God, that God sent his son to die for us, that God sent his one and only son into the world to die, to be sacrificed, so that we could, for the propitiation, so that we could see the judgment of God that we ought to face because of our sinfulness and his holiness. But that judgment is diverted onto his son Jesus. And that you're loved, and I'm loved, and we're loved because of that. You see, a lifelong romantic love relationship with your spouse does not begin with a declaration that I do. It's a declaration that I am loved. Therefore, I love. You see, here's here's what he's saying. You and I... We're unlovable. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but the confines of what Christianity is and what that means is that you and I are, are, are deeply unlovable. You and I, we, I man, we've all sinned. We've all gone astray. We've all, you know, known the good that we ought to do and we didn't do it. We've all kind of turned to the side and, and, and sinned. In, in, in fact, if you were to think about it, um, some of us, it was, you know, you sinned a, a long time ago. <laughs> well, you, you all probably sinned this morning, but <clears throat> whatever. Um, you think about like your worst moment of sin. You think about that time where you just, you know, you wish you could take it back. In fact, for some of us, you know, it was that weekend. Um, it was that trip. It was that business trip. It was that season. It was that semester. Uh, for some of us, you know, it was at the T-Pain and Big Boy concert, you know, and you were, you were getting low and, you know, <clears throat> he likes the bartender and, you know, all those types of things. And he's a Tallahassee hero. though. So anyways, you know. <clears throat> If, if, if we were in a small group, maybe, maybe we, were, we were one-on-one and we were talking about this. Here's what I would say. If you closed your eyes, if you closed your eyes and you thought about or I thought about the most, the biggest mistake, the most sinful decision that we've ever made. If you close your eyes and you thought about that, I mean, just thought, what's, what's the thing, and, and, and don't, don't say this out loud, you know, What's the thing that I wish and I hope that no one ever knows or finds out? What's the thing or what's the, what's that season? What's that decision? What was that weekend that you look at and and, and you, you just hope no one ever knows about because you just, I mean, you, you live with this. And here's what the gospel says, is that God so deeply and desperately loved, that's, that he knew that, and for some of us, that decision hasn't been made yet. That sin hasn't been done yet. And I hope it never does, but he knows it, and he sees it. And he sent his son. Not for us to try to prove our way that, God, I am good enough. God, I am holy enough. God, I am moral enough. I had, you know, I did not get low. You know, when they went low, I went high type of thing, you know. <clears throat> He's saying that God saw us in our sinfulness, in our depravity, and he sent his son into the world that we didn't have to behave our way into God's graces, but God saw us, and not because we're lovable, because God is so loving, he gave his son to die for us, and that spirit now lives inside of me. And the overflow of that spirit is that I now love other people. You see, often marriage... In relationships, it's so easy to love out of reciprocation. I love you because you loved me, but the Christian says, I love you because Jesus loved me, and he is sufficient for me. Let me me say it in 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 a different way. Most of us love other people. Most of us love other people as a response to our depravity. Most of us love other people as a response to our insufficiency. And so what we have, and maybe you wouldn't say it in these terms, we have a fear-based love. I love you in a way that you won't reject me. I love you in a way that I feel stable. I love you in a way that I have personal insecurities and insufficiencies, and I want to love you in a way where those are substantiated, validated, and I feel secure. Insecurity is not a bad thing, but as long as I look to you for that, you're broken and sinful like me. Here's here's how he continues. This, and this is uh, this, this is why I love the Bible because it's so uh, intuitive. Into how we act and operate. In in verse 17, by this, a little bit, he says, By this, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now, here's why he said that. They had this problem that some of us honestly have too which is that how do I know, how do I know, how do I know? If there is judgment, if there is wrath, if there is heaven and hell, and those are real places, and real people go to one of the two, then, man, I want to have confidence that I am secure, that I am good with God. And there was this kind of general fear that how do I know, how do I know, how do I know that I know that I know? And some of you, you have know, thought that question, like, I know, but, like, do I know that I know? And so you say, yeah, and then somebody says, but, like, do you know that you know that you know? And you're like, I think, you know. And so he continues on, he says, here's the deal. That's natural. But when you get the love of God, when you understand that I can't earn my way into God's good graces, that it was, it's only through Jesus, that there was an infraction because of my sinfulness against God, that God sent his son for me because I couldn't earn my way back to it. I placed my faith, my hope, and my trust that he, in his death and resurrection, paid the price, took the, pun- the penalty and the punishment that I should have faced. It eradicates this sense of fear. This is how he continues. Because as also we are in this world, he clarifies, verse 18, that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. Now, now, isn't this interesting? Isn't there a relational theory in our day that basically says this? It doesn't describe it by fear, but here's what it says Whoever cares the least has the most power. Whoever cares the least has the most power. Whoever cares the least has the least to lose, AKA they have the most leverage. Whoever cares the least has the most power. And so, what we all have a tendency to do again is love out of that insecurity i'm going to love you because i'm afraid to lose you perhaps if you're dating the thing is in marriage and this is why i think marriage gets so so difficult is because when you're dating you just get like a little glimpse of that person's insecurity But as you join together, as you are married together, as you live with this person, this person has committed and covenanted to you, then what you see is a more raw, a more real version of that already existing insecurity, and you just see it more frequently. So how that works itself out is is stuff like this. I've been rejected in my past, and so I'm going to love you out of my insufficiency and deficiency. Because I've been rejected. And so I'm going to love you in a way that I won't then be rejected. I'm going to pre- maybe, I'll, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll just pretend like rejection doesn't matter to me. I've, uh, maybe you haven't been, it's, it's not rejected. Maybe that rejection was just, shoot, your folks weren't around at all. Maybe one of your parents wasn't around at all. Maybe they just weren't around enough. Maybe for you that you're like me, where your parents were around, but one of your parents was exceptionally, exceptionally volatile. Emotionally, there was just this high level of volatility. You didn't know what you were going to get. You didn't know if if you were going to come home and and mom was going to be sober or not, if she was going to be stable or not. And you, like me, had times where you'd have friends over. Your mom was passed out on the floor. And as a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, nine-year-old, 13-year-old, you're carrying her into the room, dragging her as best you can. And there's a high sense of emotional, maybe it was financial volatility. And here's the thing, you're not bad. We all have that. We all have places, but here's the problem. I have a tendency, and you have a tendency, and we have a tendency to feel that, to feel that void, to feel that insecurity, and expect this other broken person to fill that void and that insecurity. And so I have a need for security, and so I'm going to love towards that direction, and if I don't see that in you, then I'm just going to panic, and I'm going to have anxiety, and I'm going to to have a lot of things going on. I have a need for emotional. I have a need to be accepted and not rejected. And and, and let me just kind of be honest for a second. With a lot of this, again, it's not that you're a bad person, and it's not that the person who did it to you was ill intended we've all got issues. We've all got problems. We've all got deficiencies. We've all got insecurities. And oftentimes, we weren't the one who sought those out. Those happened to us. And we have this general idea that if the person who did that to us also loved us, then that means nothing happened. Right? If, If I've got a car... And you back into my car and you're my best friend and you love me to death or you're my parent and you love me to death or, you know, you're whoever and you love me to death and you backed into my car and, and then you said, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And then you drove off. Or if you're the person who, like, backed into my car because you, like, hate the fact that I blocked you in, you know, and you, so you backed into my car and then, you know, you know, threw me a couple half-piece signs as you, you know, screeched out of the tire. Let me, let me tell you, regardless of intention, I still have a dent in my door. And the reality is, don't miss this, the reality is, is that Jesus is sufficient. But sometimes, in fact, all the times for all of us, to varying levels, we need to sift through this. Because we have a a propensity and a potential to love out of a response towards this. That might be that you work through it as you just sit there and you th- think and you pray. It might be that you work through it as in, in, in a sense of community or with a, with a mentor. It might be that you work through it with a mental health counselor, a therapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, any of those iatristologists you know, that, that you want to go. And I say this, my wife is a therapist, and I think it's one of the most extraordinary gifts to, that God has given the, the, the earth is mental health and mental health professionals. There are so many Ways and places that we have. In fact, let me just say this and just go in on this for a second because why not? I got a microphone. Um, <clears throat> oftentimes in the therapy world, we deal with something when it happens and we work through that when it happens, but it always has implications later on that we also need to deal with later on. So something happened to me. I went to a therapist when I was little. Now, I think that I've, since I went to a therapist, since I taught to when I was in my teens, in my high school, my early college, that I don't need to deal with that anymore because I've dealt with that. I've opened that box. I've dealt with that box. I've sifted through that box. Let me tell you, when you're 30 and you have kids and you have a wife and all of a sudden the world's caving in because life gets stressful and you're busy and you're crazy and everything's going on, you will have a tendency. And oftentimes we need to go back and reopen those boxes and say, hey, perhaps God's provision for how you feel and how you understand his love, is through working through some of that stuff. Now, now here's the the reality. We all have that. So you don't have to feel bad about it. You don't have to feel isolated about it. You don't have to feel like you are, you know, uh, totally and in every way, shape, and form, you know, on an island about this. We all have this. But here again, here is the problem is that I go into my marriage, you go into your marriage, you someday will look towards going into your marriage, or you someday will date with the idea of going towards marriage. That this person is going to fill all the gaps. But what happens is two people with dented doors don't make a whole car. Two people with dented doors just means that's a lot of body work to be done. And so they come into marriage, and there's friction, and there's conflict. In other words, here's one of the things we said before in, a, in a previous series. I don't believe there's, there's married people problems. I believe married people problems are who's going to pick up the kids. Oh, man, I'm busy today. Oh, you know, gosh, we didn't pick up any toothpaste or something like that. that. That's married people problems. What happens is there's single people problems, issues that are brought into the relationship that now cause and create greater senses of conflict in marriage. So here's what he continues to say. Now, th- 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 this is why love. he says, man, a perfect love, a perfect love casts out this fear, it casts out this insecurity, that I know that there's this God of the universe, this holy God who deeply and sufficiently loves me. He says, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, And we love because he first loved us. And anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he cannot see, but love God whom he cannot, who he has, sorry, I get that backwards. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He says, man, This is why we love. This is why we love. Because God first loved us. Now, here's what that means. Jesus' love, God's love is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for me. I I love the love of my wife, but I do not need the love of my wife. If my wife ceased to exist, I would be devastated. Because she means so much to me. And I am so, we're going to talk about that in a second, but but I am so in every way, shape, and form. In love, in love, I'm enamored, and I have just this deep, deep adoration for my wife. But Jesus' love is enough for me, that I don't need her love to validate and substantiate me. See, for some of you, right, you're single, and you don't want to be? And not everybody's single, but there's this tendency to just idolize. That I'm going to feel valued. That I'm going to feel worth it. I'm going to feel significant. That I'm going to feel substantial. That I'm going to feel like I am enough when someone loves me. Let me let me tell you. If the love of God is not enough for you, no person's love will be. It will feel that way for six to twelve months. Here's what he's saying. That this perfect love that we love, that I love you, that I love my wife, that I love my friends, that I love people who are my enemies, that I love everybody and anybody, not because everybody is so lovable, not because they substantiate and they validate my insecurities or they invalidate them to make me feel secure. It's because, it's because, it's because God, the God of the universe loved me. So I don't need you, but I choose to love you because that's what God did for me. He says, and so if you've experienced that love, but you don't love the person next to you, regardless of who the person next to you is, especially if that person is your husband or your wife. Then have you actually experienced that love? Or did you experience it at one time and just kind of move on from it? Is this a daily thing? This is why we talk about daily spending time with God. Because daily, I have to experience the love of God in my life. He continues as he, as he goes to this next point. or this, He kind of finishes this point. Verse 20. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is how this works, this is how this looks. Is that I don't need you to validate, substantiate me. That Jesus is enough. In fact, he's more than enough. He is everything I will ever need, and more. And it might take me some work, and it might take me some praying, it might take me some reading, it might take me some journaling, it might take me some conversations with my friend or with my you know, community group, it might take some conversations with my therapist, but, but, but Jesus is enough for you, I promise you. But the reason, the reason why marriage can be so difficult is because I look for the love of God in the love of my spouse. And that is a deeply imperfect love. And I think I got one of the best spouses on the planet. The love that you're supposed to feel from your spouse. And this is why it makes it so difficult. This is why I think it, it, the longer that you're together, the easier this is to do. Because when you're single, you're used to that substantiation, that validation to come from God. But you've been married a year or two years or five years or 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. And I feel valued because you value me. I feel safe because you make me feel safe. I feel comfortable because you make me feel comfortable. I feel confident because you make me feel confident. I feel not rejected because you chose me and you still choose me. You see, the the beautiful thing, it's not when you have one When you have God, when you have God and you understand the sufficiency of his love and grace for you, but when you also have that same love pouring into you from your spouse who does not need you but chooses you because they are also daily experiencing the love of God and they like, come on. That is one of the most extraordinary things. And, And John says, man, as we realize God's love for us, then we are naturally going to do this. But I think for many of us, if you've been married for a long time, perhaps the love of God you've replaced with the love of your spouse. Let me kind of end by telling you a little bit about him. You know? Just kidding. they are fantastic. Well, let me tell you this. I had a guy I was talking to not long ago say, We've been dating for a while, and, man, at first it was, you know, crazy, and euphoria, and it was fantastic. And now that kind of starting, sub, sub, starting to subside, and I don't really know what to do. You know, is that good? Is that bad? Should I always feel that? And, and here would be my love, or my love, my response. Here was my response. Here's my thought. We haven't been married forever. I think seven years. Don't judge me, because I don't know exactly, Okay. But today, I love my wife so much more than I did on our wedding day. I am so much more in love because I have so much greater of a respect. I have so much more of a trust. I have a deep, deep, deep adoration for my wife I am so much more aware of her faults but I am so much more in love with her but if I were looking to her for my personal validation I would not feel that sufficiently and resentment would build she's wonderful smart, beautiful, fellas, I'm not trying to cause you to stumble, but I'm, you know, I'm just saying, she's unbelievable, she's far smarter than I am, I mean, it's, it's degrading when we read a book together, I'm telling you, like, <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm joking, like, like, she's just reading, I'm like, super competitive, I'm like, like, <clears throat> I'm like, you done, and she's like, I've, I've been done, I'm like, dang it, because I skimmed, you know, She's got two master's degrees. I barely graduated TCC, you know? Like, seriously, I kind of scammed my way. You want to know what I love about her? What I hope she loves about me, and I think she does? Is that if I lost her, I would be devastated. But I don't think that she needs me to substantiate and validate her, and I don't think that I need her to substantiate and validate me, but I know, I know, I know my wife loves me, and I love her because we don't need each other that I'm so in love with her, and and here's what that means. When I need you and I need your love to validate and substantiate me, I don't actually love you. I love how you make me feel. But when I get my love from Jesus, I so am in love with my wife because I'm not in love with how she makes me feel. I'm in love with her. What if we weren't in love with the people across the aisle from us because of how the people across the aisle from us made us feel. But what if we were so deeply content in Jesus, in the love of God, that I'm in love with who you are? He says, yeah, you're gonna love. You're gonna love your brother. You're gonna love your husband. You're gonna love your wife. So the to do about this whole thing, what do you take from it? is that everybody's different, man. Everybody's got issues. Everybody's got insecurities. Everybody's got holes. Everybody's got dents. But I just think it might be for you talking about it. It might be for you that you experienced the love of God, but life just got busy and things got crazy, and you just kind of put all that on the back burner for a little while. It might be for you that you experience some things and you just experience some holes and so now you're living out of that to try to find people to validate you and substantiate you and it seems like every relationship just ends and ends and it's toxic and it's toxic and it's toxic. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps there are some holes, there are some issues, there are some deep-seated insecurities that Jesus wants to speak into to love you in and it's gonna take some work and it's gonna, let me just tell you, it is going to sometimes hurt to deal with those things. But I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, you will begin to experience the love of God in a way that you never have before. And as you do, you will realize this person was never put on planet Earth to love you like God, but they were to love you in a reflection of God's love for us. Because let me we end with this. When I am in tune with God, in love with my wife, and she believes in me, I literally think I can conquer the planet. Okay? Just want you to know that. Like, sometimes I try some ridiculous stuff, and if I ever do anything that's, like, so weird and crazy and outrageous and way too big, just blame her. Okay? (laughs) Because she talked me into it. I'm like, no, that's dumb. She's like, I think you can do that. I'm like, sweet. That's awesome. (laughs) It is so powerful. It is so powerful. It is so extraordinarily powerful. I just think we need to all do the work to unearth those places that fear has driven our love and understand that Jesus is sufficient. So what that looks like for you, where that looks like for you, here's what I know. If God would send his son in light of our sinfulness to die on the cross so that we could be made right with him, his grace is sufficient for you. Wherever you are, Whoever you are, whatever you've been through, and you might have been through some extraordinary hurt, and if you were to sit down at coffee and you were to tell me your story, I'm sure there's just such extraordinary pain. But here's what I want you to know. You have a Savior who endured the cross and loves you. And I just want you to experience that in every way, shape, and form and have that overflow into an extraordinary marriage. Let's pray together.